You may be seated. Take your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. We continue in our walking series. This morning we're looking again at Jacob walking with Jacob as he was walking with God. Genesis chapter 32 is where we'll be for the preaching this morning. I will add my additional thought on it. We are looking forward to next Saturday. I hope you can be here. Um, The church, when it, I'll say this carefully, when it begets another church, when it self-propagates and reproduces itself, that is a high moment in a church's history. Now, some churches do that by just splitting. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, in the sense of actually going out and planting another church. That is a monumentous event or occasion in the health and the life of a church. The other is that men rise from within her uh, as a church body to become pastors. Now, uh, we'll talk next week in more detail. Zach wasn't hired to be a pastor. In fact, when he first came here, he said, no, no, I don't think I really want to be. I don't know that that's a, I, I'm happy to be a youth man and do music and, and serve on a church staff. And through God's help and God's working, he has come to the point where he says, yes, this is something I want to pursue. Truth is, he can't fail it. You say, what? Why are we doing it? <clears throat> yeah, right, yeah, he says. If he fails it, I failed him. Uh, for the last seven or eight months, I've been training and teaching him and going through doctrines. He doesn't need that much help. He's done a wonderful job. Either he goes home and Sarah helps him with all the answers or something. I don't know where he gets all the answers, but uh, the answer is he's done good work. And that's the project on this coming Saturday is that we can see one of our own who has decided of God's leading that he wants to study to show himself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And so it will be an enjoyable time. And then next Sunday evening, you'll especially want to be here, those that will be preaching I will not be. It is going to be his commissioning service. We'll have at the end a time of prayer for those who are ordained and those who are deacons. Uh, we will, as the Bible says, they did in the, old, or in the New Testament, in the original church there in uh, Jerusalem and then in Antioch. They laid their hands upon and prayed for and then commissioned him in the gospel ministry. And from then on, you got to call him teens apparently like Pastor Zach. You can't call him Brother Zach anymore. He will have achieved and worked for uh, something not of status, but of seriousness and something of a calling. And so uh, we're looking forward to that as well. Well, here in Genesis chapter number 32, we'll pick up our reading in verse number 24. We're going to be in Genesis 28, Genesis 31, Genesis 32, and then Genesis 35 this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to see Jacob in his fight. That's the objective this morning. You say, fight? What does that mean? Well, we're going to find out by the time we're done. But essentially what we're talking about is why we live the Christian life the way we live it. Not contentious with those around us, but contentious with that one which is within us. The fight. Are you in the fight this morning? We said that the walk of Jacob as he walked with God was a life of transformation. It was a walk of transformation. And last week we saw the chaos that was in his formative years. This morning we're going to look at the fight, not that was in his belly, but that was really before him, that God laid out before him. Let's read a couple verses, we'll pray, and then we'll jump in this morning to the preaching. The Bible says, And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, now the first here here is the wrestling man, the second is Jacob. When he, the man who was wrestling, saw that he prevailed not against Jacob, he, the wrestling man, touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he, that is this wrestling man, said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? Now, the question here is rhetorical. How do you not know me? 
Why are you asking after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved or my life is saved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him. And he, this is Jacob, halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day. Because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Father, help us, I pray, this morning as we see this one Jacob in his fight. It is real. It is a ferocious fight in some instances. And I'm afraid, Lord, that many believers who are in this room this morning don't even understand that we're supposed to be fighting against our flesh, fighting against the world, fighting against the devil. Instead, we're friends with them. We're going to learn in Jacob this morning that that cannot be the case. We must be different. Father, as we come to this word, I pray that you'll help us to understand and see the ways in which Jacob fought or strove within himself and the ways in which we should as well. Bless in this hour, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no denying that Jacob's formative life, as we studied last week, left much to be desired. That life started with parental chaos, as we noted. That parental chaos that they showed in their divided love and in their differing ways shows to us then the choices that Jacob had to make. He made two choices that we noted last week from that chaos of his upbringing. One was a good choice and the other was a bad. The good choice was an eternally good choice, and that was of desiring God's blessing in having the birthright. And everything that was coupled to that birthright was important to him. But married to that good choice was a bad choice. Sounds like a lot of us, doesn't it? We make one good step forward for God and then two baby steps back. I feel like sometimes in the Christian life, it's like the old game, Mother May I. Mother, may I take one giant leap forward? Yes, you may. And then you ask quietly, may I take two or three steps backwards? And we find that in the earthly choice, rather than the eternal choice, he engages in deceitfulness once again. What a terrible choice. When we come to Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, as we'll learn this morning, we find a man without a home, a man who is desperately looking for belonging purpose, and a place. Because of the deceitfulness and the hatred in his home and in his upbringing, there was nowhere that he could feel safe or at home. What we find when we begin in Genesis 28 is that Jacob follows twofold good advice. Here's what they are. By the way, they're not necessarily earth-shattering. They're not necessarily profound in any way. Here's the twofold advice. Get away from the guy that's trying to kill you and go find a girl to marry. I wish we could say that these were really deep theological things that were driving him. And the answer is they weren't. Don't die, get married. That's literally it. But considering where he came from, it was good advice for him to receive. I put at the top of your notes there this phrase to begin our thoughts this morning. The fight that Jacob was to engage in was a fight against his flesh. It was a fight that each of us has as well. If we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, this morning you have to fight your flesh. You cannot give in to it. You cannot uh, appease it. You cannot uh, play with it. You cannot become friends with it. You cannot feed it. You must fight it. And the problem is most Christians choose not to fight their flesh. It is a fight that every believer faces. Here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good or an honest profession before many witnesses. He's saying to Timothy, hey, listen, there is a fight that you must engage in. Unless we think that Paul himself was uh, uh, absent from that fight himself, here's what he writes at the very end in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and in verses 6 through 8. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. 
I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, or because of this, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them. That includes you and I this morning. But unto all them also that love or fight towards a longing towards His appearing. There is a pattern in the life of Jacob of deceitfulness and weakness that he had to fight. It's the same pattern that finds itself in our own lives. These two things must be forcibly removed from his life through a fight of faith, a fight of transformation, we might say. We will study next week when we come together, actually two weeks from now when we come together, the transforming faith that he has. But this morning we study the transforming fight that is in his life. The fight for transformation is real, and it must be engaged in, and we will trace it now through his life. Take your Bibles and turn back to Genesis chapter number 28. We start this morning understanding that the fight begins with the call from God. In Genesis chapter 28, there is a call that comes from Almighty God in the life of Jacob. We pick up our reading in verse 10, and we find the Bible says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father. And the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places, whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked, verse 16 says, out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillow and set it up for a pillar. I heard a great message preached one time, from a pillow to a pillar, trusting in Almighty God. It was a wonderful message I heard preached years ago. The Bible goes on and poured oil upon the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel, or house or dwelling abode of God. But the name of, the city was co- but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. Verse 20, And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. By the way, what a wonderful prayer by Jacob. This is what Jesus said we ought to pray for. Having food and raiment, therewith be content. That's exactly what Jacob prayed. So that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give give a tenth unto thee. What a wonderful truth it is for us to understand who Jacob is. The call from God comes into Jacob's life with the very same promise that God had given to Abraham and to Isaac. But like those two before him, Jacob had to believe in faith and act in faith towards God. In other words, it couldn't be his daddy's faith. It could not be his grandfather's faith. What God does is he comes and makes the same offer to Jacob that was given to Isaac and that was given to Abraham. And may I say to you this morning, I don't care how many generations of your family have gone to church or even that come to this church, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no hope for you. You say, that sounds harsh. I know. The call of God is very specific and very narrow. The call of Jacob is found here in chapter 28. There is a second aspect of the call that we'll study in a few moments in chapter 31. But first, here in 28, notice the call is first to salvation. 
Belief. Faith in God. You say, well, wasn't Jacob already saved? I don't read of him making a decision to follow God, to trust in Almighty God. This is where he says, I will trust in you, as Pam sung so wonderfully this morning. God comes to Jacob here in a vision. The vision is very instructive in the Old Testament, if we're to believe it and to understand them. They're purposeful, not accidental. In other words, visions and dreams in the Old Testament are not recorded because the person or the saint the night before had too many anchovies on his pizza. They are intentional. This is an instructive vision. And the instruction for us is that the call of God in the fight for our faith or the fight to be different from the world begins in the call to salvation. What was it? It was a ladder to heaven. The angels were ascending and descending, the Bible says, and the Lord stood at the very top of it. It's an interesting truth for us to understand the ladder that goes from Jacob's dwelling place to God's abode or dwelling place. Jacob here has access to God, but only by God's terms and on God's terms. For Jacob, it is a new and special relationship that he must enter into. This is where Jacob's true fight begins. And may I say to you, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, your true fight of transformation begins. You cannot be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, before you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is not possible. There's no way about it. This is where Jacob's true fight begins. Yes, it had been declared he would rule over his younger brother. And yes, he was the brother who had valued the eternal and spiritual birthright that was in his family. And yes, through deceit, he now had the father's blessing as if he were the firstborn. By the way, instead of just honestly going before his daddy, as we talked about last week, saying, Esau sold it to me. It's rightfully mine. You should give it to me. That's how it should have ended, but it didn't. It is not until here in Jacob's life, it is not until here in his walk, after the chaos of his formative years, that his fight really begins because God comes into his life. This is now God declaring what he would do for Jacob. By the way, this may be the first time you've ever heard the word salvation. May I say to you, today's the day of salvation. We must trust Christ as we are presented truth about Jesus Christ but Christ and the gospel message. We don't find in this story or in this event Jacob in any sort of way deceitful. The supplanting deceiver has practiced a family weakness all his life, but here when he meets God, it's gone. Friend, you can't deceive God. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's the day of salvation. Right here, right now, in this moment. It is a call to salvation. There's no deceiving of God here. And by the way, there's no manipulating of God here. God just offers. He said, listen, I, the promise I gave to Abraham, the promise that I gave to Isaac, this promise I'm giving to you, do you want it? Well, we know from before that he was already seeking the spiritual and eternal things, even though he still struggled in his flesh. It's here that it's offered to him, and it's here that he receives it. It's here that he responds. The fight for transformation begins at salvation. Jacob had to accept by faith that this God, his father and grandfather's God, was also going to be his God. Oh, generational believer or Christian in a church, maybe I should say, generational church attender, please understand that this morning. You are not saved because you've come to this church for 15 years. You're not saved because you've gone to any church for any amount of years. You are saved because you put your faith and trust in the offer of salvation from Jesus Christ himself. God offers in verses 13, 14, and 15, and Jacob responds. He is afraid, the Bible says, in verse number 17. Interestingly enough, the word afraid and dreadful are the very same word in the Hebrew language. It means to have an awe of reverence and respect. It has, the, has to do with the fact of recognizing that which is before you is better in every qualifying way than you are. Every quality about the one that you're in contact with, that you are in reverence of or in awe of, they are superior to you in every possible and imaginable way. That's what it means to be afraid. That's what it means that when he says, how dreadful is this place? He doesn't mean it like we do. Years ago, Jessica and I ended up one time at a hotel room and she goes, how dreadful is this place? It's not that sense. 
It was a dreadful place. What he's saying here is what an awe-inspiring, how how amazing. I, I did not realize this was the kind of God you were. He had come to a personal realization of who God was. This was salvation. Jacob notes that this place, at this moment, from this revelation of God, was the entry point into heaven. He calls it literally the gate of heaven, if you read carefully. At the end of verse 17, he says, This is the gate, or the entrance into heaven. John chapter 10 and verse 9, here's what Jesus himself would later say. I am the door. The word door there can be translated, I am the gate. Later he's talking about the sheepfold. All of John chapter 10 is about him, the chief, the good shepherd. And as we understand the good shepherd, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture or feeding. Later, just in case we doubted it, in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Friends, may I say this morning, you cannot fight the good fight of transformation or of faith until you have first accepted God's offer of salvation. It's just not possible. You are still back in the chaos. You are still at the moment of your decision or your choice. Until you accept Jesus Christ, there is no fight. But once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, oh, the fight begins. And it is a war. It is a battle fought in your heart and in your mind. And it is a persistent and continual one. It is, there are avenues of victory. There's paths to success. But it is when the fight begins. Move ahead with me now to Genesis chapter 31. God calls Jacob to salvation. That's what we find in chapter 28. But when we get to chapter 31, we find that then God calls Jacob to separation. Look in verse number 11 of chapter 31. Now, if I may, the Bible tells us in Chapter 31, and just as an aside, in verse number 4, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to go to the field unto his flock. In other words, he calls his wives to him. We'll preach next week when we find about decisions and decision-making that is made. That maybe every decision Jacob made wasn't a great one, wasn't a good one, certainly not one that we would endorse from the Word of God. I can just tell you definitively, not a good idea to have two wives. Now, every husband just kind of smirked, but they were smart enough not to laugh, right? They just kind of went, (laughs) but it's not biblical, right? But we find that he calls his two wives, both of Laban, out into the field. And in the process of talking to them, and where we begin our reading here in verse 11, they are in the field and they are talking. And he's telling them how he's been productive, how he's been effective in this foreign land, in Laban's country, for the 14 years plus the now probably six to seven plus more years that he worked for his father-in-law with these cattle. And, And if you read the story in chapter 31, it's very fascinating about how the cattle were increased and every one that was increased were of particularly Jacob's flock. But we come flock, but we come to verse 11, and he's still talking to his wives, and the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, he's explaining this to them. And I said, here am I. And he said, lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leap on the cattle, upon the cattle are ringstrakes speckled and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. God is always aware of those that are his. God knows what people do to us. God knows how people take advantage of us. He knows how to take care of us. But what God is going to say to Jacob here is, I can't have you continually living, though, in this land. What he would say to the New Testament believers, I can't have you continually living in this life. You've got to do something different. You've got to be separated out. He goes on and says in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel. Where was Bethel? Well, we just read it in chapter 28. I am the God of that house of God's dwelling. I'm the one that met you there. Where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now, he says, arise, get thee out from this land. You you New Testament believer can read that very simply to say, get thee out from this life and return unto the land or unto the life of thy kindred, the life that I have planned for you. Here's the point. 
When we read this and we understand this, the separation that God wants is for us not to be like the world. Our flesh desperately wants to be like the world. Our flesh wants us to stay in the deceit. By the way, Laban was no different than Isaac and Rebekah. He was deceitful and spiteful. He was filled with envy towards those who were more successful than him. That was a life that God did not want Jacob to be a part of. He had fled it when it was chaos at his parents' house. He had come and found his family and established himself here. But God said, this is not what I want for you. I want you to be separated from this. The call is not just to be saved. The call when we walk with God is to be separated. It's a call to separation. Leave this land. Go to the land I have for you. Leave that life. Go to the life that I have planned for you. God calls Jacob back to the promised land here. After 20 plus years living with Laban and his deceitfulness and manipulation, it was time for Jacob to go back to the place of God's fullest blessing. It was time for him to separate from that which would hurt and harm him and his family. May I say to our families of this church, it is time we practiced separation. It's what we're called to. Jacob knew that God's fullest blessing on him was back in that land of promise. Though he had come away from it to escape, it was now time for him to separate back into being God's anointed, God's chosen, a reflection of God's glory. Jacob's fight had God's blessings of fruitfulness in children and wealth, but now it was time for Jacob to demonstrate his transformation. I am different. I'm not like Isaac. I'm not like Rebekah. I'm not like Esau. I'm not like Laban. I am a follower of God. Would you as a Christian be willing to stake yourself to that this morning? When you engage in the fight of faith, you will, be see, you will begin to see changes in your own life. You will be able to see fruit of God's Spirit coming from you. And those who do not know Christ will not understand what's going on in you. Why is this important to you? They might say. Some may even be despised for their separation. Don't be shocked at that. Paul addresses this in 2 Timothy 3 in verse 12. He says, all that will live godly shall suffer persecution. In his salvation response, Jacob had told God, as you recall from chapter 28, I believe in you, but I want you to show yourself strong in my life. Here, God appears to him and says, I have shown myself strong in your life. Now I want you to show me to others. Oh, what a call. You see, this is why we fight. This is the heart of our fight. We've been called to salvation, and from the moment of our salvation, we've been called to separation. And I can tell you, it's not easy in the modern world. It's not easy in America today, but it's what God has called us to. Separation takes two things. It's separation first in sobriety. You say, sobriety? I don't drink. I'm good. Well, good for you. What I mean is the Bible word sober. The Bible word sober just means to be circumspect or to be aware of every decision and every nuance of a decision. To be sober-minded is to be serious and thoughtful and contemplative. In other words, go through your life and make a checklist of what needs your action, what needs to be separated. We find even in the context of chapter 31, Jacob has gathered his family and he's talking seriously with them about what separation would look like and what it would take on their part. Maybe there are some family conversations that need to take place in our church this morning. By the way, let me give you a helpful starter as your pastor. Here's how it can start. God has loved us. God has given us so much in our home, beginning with salvation. If you're the husband, you might say to your wife and to your children, beginning today, we're going to do things differently for him. (laughs) That's a wonderful message, Pastor. I'll amen you right up until that point. It takes sobriety. You don't just accidentally become a great Christian. You say, well, what is a great Christian? A great Christian never calls himself a great Christian. (laughs) 
They're just serious about it. The second thing I put in your notes there, it takes stewardship. And by that I just mean faithful management of everything. You know, there's a whole lot of people that start to do things for God. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. About every January we see that. My wife and I have been going to the gym since January. We haven't stopped. We're almost to May. And it can show, I think. No, the point is, is that they call the second weekend of January Quitter's Weekend. I thought, really? We made it past then. Actually, we didn't start until after then. But the point is, that's what they call it. Why? Because everybody turns over a new leaf in January. How many are still going at their resolutions? And the answer is there's a lot of Christians that say, yeah, you know what? I'm really serious about it. Pastor really preached on it, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it loud and say it proud. We're going to go home and talk about it. Do you do it, though? Many a soul has said, I'm done doing this sin or that sin. Far too few stick with it. Stewardship simply means faithfulness at all times in the little and great decisions of life. It means faithfulness when everyone is watching and faithfulness when no one is watching. That's what it means. Jacob's fight began with the call of God. The fight then moves in chapter 32 to the consecration of Jacob himself. Take your Bibles and turn over just a chapter. What do I mean by consecration? Consecration simply means the separation of oneself from the things that are unclean, especially anything that would contaminate one's relationship with God who is perfect. Consecration also carries some similar words, some synonyms. Sanctification, holiness, purity, these all have the same idea of consecration. Here's what it looks like in the life of Jacob. In chapter 32, beginning in verse 24, the Bible where we began our text this morning says Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. The hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Jacob is intent on receiving the blessing of the man of God that is here. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. By the way, people who are not serious or consecrated or setting themselves apart into holiness have no power with God and they have no influence over man. You're just another person who's fallen in their sins and living like the filth of this world. Jacob, verse 30, called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is... Preserved. We find that, in con- that consecration begins, letter A, with the solitude of choice in verse number 24. If it's not underlined in your Bible, go back and underline that very first line in verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. The context of that is wonderful. We know chapter 32, if we know the life of Jacob at all. He has returned, and he's on the side of Jordan, ready to cross back into the promised land. And in the process of that, he knows that Esau is coming. He has literally set everybody in the family, and and this is one of those things, this is why it's not a good idea to have more than one wife. He set everybody in the family in order, it seems, from the least favored up front to the most favored in the back. And he's ready the next day to go out front and be the front man that, in, that meets him all. At least he had moved past the weaknesses in his own life and he becomes strong in his faith towards the God that would provide for him. But we understand that's how he set it all up. But this is the moment right before it happens. And the Bible says, or it teaches us, I should say, his walk with God was a walk that was consecrated. It didn't matter. He was no longer going to be deceitful. He was no longer going to be weak. The flesh was not going to control him. But there was a moment of choice. And it was in the solitude of that moment. It was in the stillness and in the quiet. Can I tell you, what you do in the privacy of your own heart matters much more often to God than it does what you do outwardly with your hands, what you do in your heart. The Bible says Jacob was left alone. He wasn't talking to Rachel, he wasn't talking to Leah. He wasn't talking to any of the 11 kids that that were there with him. 
It was just him and God. No one can consecrate your life for God but you. Your spouse can't. Your parents can't. Your pastor cannot do it for you. It is in your own choices as to whether you're going to obey God or not, whether you're going to honor Him or not, whether you're going to engage in the fight. You can fake it until we all believe that you are a good Christian. And when we get to heaven, we'll go, I can't believe that. But you know the quietness of your own heart. It's the solitude of choice. It's the solemn hour in the moments. The acid test of your willingness to engage in the eternal fight of spirit versus the flesh is are you willing to make the choice alone of your own accord to please God? When no one else is watching, what do you choose? That's the basic premise of Christianity, friend. In those moments, do you choose God or do you choose yourself? Jacob is left alone. Think of the situation. Laban and all of his deceitfulness is behind him. Esau, with all his hatefulness, is before him. And in that moment, Jacob wrestles with God, saying, Do I really believe this? It's interesting. If you read the beginning, take your Bibles if yours needs to turn and look back at verse 1 of chapter 32. Look up in verse 1. He's left the deceitful Laban, and he's headed for the hateful Esau. And here's what God does for him. But before he meets with him, but before there is this conversation that we read and the wrestling, Jacob went on his way, and notice what it says, and the angels of God met him. The word met there literally means to intervene with him. They ministered to him. I don't know what they did for him. I don't know what they did to him. But they were there as an encouragement for him. May I say to you, even though the solitude of your choice is yours, there's always people around you that want to see you succeed. Pastors and parents and spouses alike, they want to see you make choices that are right before Almighty God. It's interesting in verse 2, the Bible says, And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. This is his company. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim. What that means is two companies. In other words, there's that of this earth, and there's that that is divine. We're not like them, and they're not like us. It's the camp of two hosts, it's called. The consecration of Jacob is seen first and foremost in the solitude of the choice, but secondly, it's in the sign of commitment. If we were to continue reading, and we did in our original text, We came to verse 31 and we found that he halted upon his thigh in verse 31. It's interesting, this wrestling match with God. Sometimes when preachers preach it, we say, don't wrestle with God. This is actually a good connotation. You want to do this kind of wrestling with God. The picture here is Jacob does not want to let go of this man of God until he's sure that this man of God is going to bless him. And so he's not going to let him go. I believe it's a Christophany. It's a physical manifestation on this earth of Jesus Christ before his incarnation. And here we find him wrestling with this man. The only reason I say that is because later God gives him the name that this man gives him. Only God can change our name. And so this man that he's wrestling with is likely a Christophany. In the process of this wrestling match with God himself, he's saying to God, look, this fight that I'm in, I can't win it by myself. I'm not going to let go of you until I know you're going to take care of me. May I say to you, that is exactly what prayer is. But the result of that kind of prayer in your life, the result of that kind of relationship with God that you're going to hold on to Him until He does something for you, it's what mortifies the flesh. It's what kills the flesh. It's what dislocates and dislodges the flesh from its strongholds in our life. It is a wonderful study, and we have not the time this morning. In the Old Testament especially, under the covenant laws, the idea of swearing by the thigh. They would take their hand and put it underneath the thigh because the legs or the thigh was where life came from and strength was in a man. 
And so we find here in God wrestling, he says, no, I'm taking your strength away. And for the rest of time, it's why I've chosen the picture of Jacob on his staff. It's because for the rest of time, he walked like this. I asked in the early hour that I thought there might be more there. Maybe there's more in this one. How many have had a hip replacement? (laughs) Raise your hand real high. It's a brave thing to go through. You know what he suffered before your hip was replaced. Oh, the pain. Oh, everywhere I go. Listen, there's got to be a sign of commitment that you're willing to overcome your flesh. And that's what this was for Jacob. This might be the most powerful part of the story of Jacob. It is why the series is titled or pictured this way. Here's the practical point, which is this, that Jacob wrestled with God in the flesh and would not let go. God, in wrestling with him, touched and wounded the hollow of Jacob's thigh. That is practically what we need to see and understand. But the sign for our commitment this morning to Christ then is plain. How willing are you to cripple and crush your flesh to hold tightly to Jesus Christ. My flesh, it does a lot to make me let go of Jesus. I know. If you really love the Lord, you're going to hold tight to Him and hurt your flesh. That's the picture of this. That's what we need to understand in our walk with God. The stronger that you hold to Jesus Christ, the more He will crush your flesh. And so it leads us third and finally then this morning. From the call and the consecration to the cause for the fight. Old King David, before he was king, little boy David, we might say, ran down on that battlefield in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And in the process of fighting the giant that was Goliath, the giant of the flesh is his type. That's the picture that he is in the Old Testament of of Goliath. In fighting the giant that is our flesh, he says, is there not a cause? We find that in chapter 35 for Jacob. Turn over there with me before we close. Do we have a reason to fight? Jacob finds that the fight is never over. (laughs) That his flesh will always be part of his earthly battle. One of the saddest chapters in all of the Bible is Genesis chapter 34, when Dinah is taken advantage of and the brothers go to kill. And all of the past sins and weakness and deceitfulness of Jacob come rushing back. That's the fight. So chapter 35 opens with God speaking to Jacob. And we find in it the cause of our fight, the purpose in it. Why do we fight, we might say. Pick up the reading in verse number 1 down to verse number 15. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, go back to the place where I abide, or my, the, uh, my house and, and the house of God. Dwell there, make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Notice this, by the way, here's more of his consecration. Put away the strange gods that are among you. Be clean. Change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went, who saved me, we might say. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hands and all their earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak tree which is by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God, the fear of God, the all reverence and respect of God was upon who? What does it say there? the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue or attack the sons of Jacob. In other words, because they consecrated themselves, because they were willing to fight the flesh and walk with God, because they were willing to do that, God was now their protector. We keep reading. You say, is that the point? No, that's just a free one. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place, this is what I love, El Bethel, God, the house of God's dwelling. Because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Have you ever talked to God and you haven't known what to say and you just start calling him by all of his names? Oh, there's times of great weakness or great joy or different times in our life that we do that. We Find ourselves just crying out to God because we need to. He comes back and he calls the place El Bethel. If he could throw a couple more L's in there, he would have because it's who God was. 
Verse 8 is an aside, but Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. She was buried beneath Bethel under an oak tree, and the name of it was called Alon Bacoth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Paddan Aram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Now here it's God speaking, not a wrestling man. Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. We find that the cause for our fight begins, letter A, in the fact that we have a change in nature. Verse number 10, he changes his name. Only God changes our name. The man who wrestled with Jacob had given the name change. Here God declares that the change is now in full effect. By the way, that is how our life is lived. We get saved, and on this earth we have a changed name, but it's not until we're glorified in heaven that we see the full effect of what that change of nature actually has done for us. Jacob now has confirmation that the one he wrestled with was no less than God himself. This was all the impetus one could possibly need to continue to pursue in this fight that which is right. God has changed me from the deceiving planter to now the victor in God, the one who prevails in God. That's what Israel means. God prevails. Reminds me for us Christians of Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 through 37. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Here's how he concludes it. Nay. In all these things, we are more than what? Conquerors. Through him that loved us. It's exactly what Jacob's name was changed to. Deceiving supplanter to God victorious. Like Jacob, our change means that we prevail, but only through God, not through our flesh. There is a reason to fight then, my friend. You will never be a victorious Christian without fighting. Every time you acquiesce, every time you relent, every time you give in, you are failing in the fight. It doesn't mean you are a failure. A just man falleth seven times, yet riseth up again. But may I say to you, maybe it's time we just get back in the fight. You're new creatures after all. You have a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become what? New. The cause for our fight is found in our, the change of our nature, but also in a challenge in the offering. Look in verse 14. <clears throat> Very end of the verse after God has ascended back to his place, no longer his Shekinah glory in the presence of Jacob, Jacob sets up a pillar, and it says he poured a drink offering thereupon. This is the first mention in the Bible of a drink offering. By the way, whenever you find something mentioned the first time in the Bible, it sets the precedent. It establishes the meaning going forward. A drink offering then has everything to do with why we fight our flesh. The idea of a drink offering is the concept of being completely spent or poured out before God. It has no use. You don't drink it. You don't ingest it. It has no usefulness. It is literally just willingly giving yourself over, being spent for someone else with nothing in return. That's the concept of a drink offering. 
The drink offering is the ultimate symbolism of how we are to be successful in the spiritual fight. We are to be broken and poured out as a sacrifice, not consumed, but rather spent as Christ was spent for us. The pouring out of a drink offering is a metaphor for the blood of Jesus Christ spilled on the cross. In the upper room at the Last Supper in Luke 22 and verse 20, Jesus says that his blood would be shed for you. The word shed means spent, poured out as a drink offering. We find the fulfillment of this in John 19 and verse 34, where the Bible says this, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And forthwith came there out blood and water. That's a drink offering. When the words say that out flowed, forthwith came there out blood and water, it was the pouring out of Jesus Christ for you and I. What Christ did, we do. That's how we win in the spiritual fight. This is our cause to be like Christ. This is what motivates us. Rather than living up life for yourself and living how you please, you're to pour yourself out before Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus poured himself out for us. Paul says it this way twice speaking of how he served Christ, and he uses the implication of a drink offering. In Philippians 2 and verse 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice, that is a drink offering, and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Can I tell you something? If you will willingly pour yourself out in the service of Jesus Christ, God, you can do whatever you want with my life. It doesn't matter how many men and women, boys and girls, actually use you and take advantage of you. God will never do it. He will always honor that sacrifice to him. Always. We read it in the beginning again. I just remind you of 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6. He says, for I am now ready to be offered. That phrase offered in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6 is that idea of a drink offering. So in closing this morning, are you in the fight? I've had a lot of fights this week, Pastor. That's not what I'm talking about. Spiritually, are you in the fight for transformation? To be different? I don't care what your formative years were like. You and I have to fight. We've got to be engaged. Have you heard God's call? First is salvation. Are you here this morning and you say, you know, I've played this church game. I, I keep coming. My friends want me to be here. My kids want me to come. My my parents want me to be here. My spouse wants me to be here. Have you played the game long enough? And do you realize this morning there is a call to you to be saved? Maybe for those who have been saved, the call this morning is to separation. I've lived long enough in this land. It's time I return to the land of promise. I'm done faking it. I'm done being a phony or a fraud. I don't want to live that life anymore. I'd rather live the life that God's designed for me. Are you willing to consecrate yourself? That's what it takes. It's in the solitude of your own choice with the obvious signs of commitment. Yeah, I want to serve Jesus. Oh, yeah, how have you died to your flesh lately? I really want to serve Jesus. You've got to die to yourself. You've got to die to your flesh. Maybe it's just a matter of understanding our cause, what drives us, our change of nature and the challenge to pour our entire life and existence out before God and say it's yours. You have every part of it. Father, help us, I pray, as we close.